now listening to the Paul McGuire Report. This is Paul McGuire. We have a lot of important stuff to talk to you about today. And let's just get into the very beginning of it. I have been talking to people, you know, here and there, just like you have during the holidays, whether you celebrate them or not. There is a reason for the season. It's Jesus Christ, not, you know, Walmart or whatever. And I'm not knocking those retailers, but that's not the reason for the season. And I sent a letter out to people who are supporting our ministry and donating to the ministry, reminding them of this fact. About 60 years ago, when America decided to get really clever and America decided to fall in love with itself, the supreme act of narcissism and delusion, America was riding high in the 50s because of uh, whatever victory you want to claim from World War II. Our economy was booming. The, the, the American dream was available, not to everybody, I'm not saying that, but to, to a large percentage of the population. Things, relatively speaking, were good. So the retail industry, like many other industries, automobile industry included, the retail industry was doing very good. In fact, this is probably going to be a throwback for a lot of you, and a few of you will remember it. I remember when we first, my wife and I first moved to Southern California. And we uh, were shopping around for another car because I blew the engine out, my stupidity, of the car that we had. Because guess what, folks? I neglected to make sure I paid attention to, the, to all the gauges on the, the control panel or whatever you want to call it. And there was a flashing red light, which I chose to ignore. Really bright of me. And the, <laughs> the, I'm laughing now. I wasn't laughing then. The flashing red light was an indicator that... There was not enough water or no water in, in the cooling system, the radiator. Okay, so if you're paying attention, you're going to jump on that right away because it won't take long. I mean, it, it's going to be a couple of heartbeats, and you're going to overheat your engine and, and potentially fry your engine. Now, the reason uh, I was so busy that I neglected it, when my wife and I first moved to California, the way we chose the geographic location where we were going to live was based on where our spiritual center or our church home would be. Everything else, well, other things were important. At that time, my wife was in the feature film business. I was in the feature film business. And so we wanted to be theoretically close to Hollywood. But the critical thing was we felt very uh, sure from the Lord that he was calling us to be part of the ministry of Dr. Jack Hayford's Church on the Way in Van Nuys, California, which had, like, at that time, I don't know, 15,000 people that went to it, and a lot of people in the entertainment business. But our priority was, and always will be, the Lord. So, you know, we would think nothing of, when we first moved out here, like many people, we thought everything in California is, like, next to everything else, and it's not true, you know that. So Orange County is a completely different planet than, let's say, Los Angeles County. Chuck Smith, who later became a friend of mine years later, uh, he said to me, uh, we were having lunch, and we would talk about all kinds of things that he wouldn't talk about in public. Um, and he, he said, you know, at Calvary Chapel, he said, it's, whenever we try to expand north in the area of Jack Hayford and Church on the Way and the Foursquare denomination, whenever we try to expand north, it's like, there's some kind of invisible roadblock, and, and it kind of works in reverse, too. And what he was saying was, is that it was like the Lord almost divided 
California, or at least the greater Southern California area, under the, the, the spiritual leadership of two great men of God, like Pastor Chuck Smith in Calvary Chapel, Dr. Jack Hayford of uh, uh, the Church on the Way. But, but, but they, it wasn't like there was some political agreement. There was no political agreement. It was like their churches didn't seem to expand north, really north, of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And Jack Hayford and the Foursquare churches, yeah, there, there were exceptions in both hands, but they didn't really seem to expand south. So he, that was something he commented to me and uh, something I thought about over the years. So in any case, after we had visited every major influential church that we thought would be a possibility for us to call our church home, uh, we, we attended uh, the Church on the Way Sunday morning uh, you know, meeting. And at that time, it was in a relatively small chapel. It was actually in what is now called the Prayer Chapel. Later on, the church expanded, and uh, it, it bought and built two massive properties, and including the Prayer Chapel, and expanded greatly. And then, at one point, the so-called, like, for lack of better words, the, the, the white church, uh, forgive me for the non-PC verbiage, the white church uh, and the Hispanic church, not for racial tension reasons, split into two different churches under the Foursquare, under the uh, Church on the Way denomination uh, uh, movement. And that was simply because of language. Uh, the Hispanic church, uh, their basic primary language was Spanish, and in the uh, white church, and that would include African Americans as well. The, the, uh, primary language was, you know, English, American English. So, by the grace of God, God gave me favor uh, at that time with all these different camps. So, I preached uh, Sunday evening services, uh, major main sanctuary services. I preached services for Jack Hayford, and uh, I preached on Bible prophecy and then ministered to the people in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then when I went to the Spanish church, um, I would preach in English, and that was a huge church that formerly was a Baptist church run by a Dr. Moody. And uh, um, I preached in English, but there would be an Hispanic pastor standing next to me so that I would throw out a sentence in English, and then he would immediately translate and throw out the exact same sentence in, in Spanish. And what did I preach on? I preached on Bible prophecy and ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. So going back to decades and decades ago, the first time we went to Church on the Way, which was a prayer chapel-type church, really small, it was experiencing a, a, an authentic biblical revival. No craziness, an authentic biblical revival. And uh, I remember being terrified standing on the steps of the church on the way. I was terrified because I heard all the accounts of all the Hollywood big shots and the movie stars who went there. And I was feeling very insecure, you know, because who am I? I'm, I'm nobody. Yeah, I produced a couple of independent feature films and stuff like that. But that's like kind of being a contender. You're not really in the game. Okay. So Pat Boone went there. And at that time, Debbie Boone went there. And. Uh, I forgot the name of the actor, but he he starred in the Walt Disney films, The Love Bug, 
You know who I mean, that actor, he went there. And a lot of other television and feature film actors went there. I mean, a huge number, as well as producers and everything else. So I thought I was, erone- I had a totally erroneous perception. And I thought I and my wife were the only, she was an actress back then. Uh, we thought we, <laughs> we were the only people who weren't famous. Now, I'm laughing today. I mean, I really am, because that whole perception, that whole drama that I created inside of my head, was complete fiction. You know, it was like nobody was, first of all, nobody was paying attention. You know, nobody cared. So anyway, we, we, go, we go into the sanctuary. They start to worship. And then within minutes after participating in the worship, the, God pours out his Holy Spirit in an authentic manner. And we both sense that we are being called by God to become a submitted member to this church, and this would be our church home. Back then, those were the the basic spiritual disciplines that a true biblical Christian attempted to live by. Uh, And I I remained at that ministry under Jack Hayford, being mentored by Jack Hayford uh, for, I don't know, a a long time, 35 years or something. And God, and, and I didn't seek, or I didn't politic, a lot of people politic. I didn't do any politics. In other words, trying to curry favor. Uh, Jack Hayford observed me, observed my family, and he opened doors for me to preach at the church on the way on a regular basis. He conferred upon me a a uh, the title of being a professor of, of eschatology or Bible prophecy and ecclesiology. Uh, at, at that time, when it first started, it was the Jack Hayford Bible Institute. And then as time went by, it became the King's College and Seminary. And it was a very influential seminary that Jack Hayford was the founder of. And I did all kinds of things for him, which, which God used as my discipleship program. So, for example, uh, he gave me the assignment along with two other people of I had to write from Genesis to Revelation uh, what were called uh, word definitions. And I would take a word and translate it from the Greek or the Hebrew or the Latin or whatever. And I would always make sure it had a contemporary translation that was applicable to the modern world. I did not want some stale, funky religious interpretation. And, And Jack liked what I did, so I ended up writing, you know, my notes that I sent him were thousands of pages long. And uh, I wrote all the notes, the, the word notes. Now, I, I'm not some scholar in those languages, so I relied heavily on the materials supplied by Jack Hayford and just made sure that they were contemporary. And I rewrote those word wealth definitions so that a college student, a non-college student, an ordinary person could wrap their hearts and brains around it. And uh, then I taught regularly at the King's College and Seminary Bible Prophecy. And I also taught on ecclesiology. I taught on Israel and Bible prophecy. And, uh, and then God, this came out of our being submitted to not only church in one way, not in a cult-like sense, but in a healthy biblical sense, and to Jack Hayford. And so I flourished and prospered, and God blessed me. Now, we have turned a corner in all that stuff. Ever since COVID, the social engineers that are secretly ruling our nation and the world, the globalist elite, are 
deconstructing the definition of Christianity, and many churches have had to shut down because of the, the, the regulations, the rules, and all the you know, stuff you need to do to protect yourself from, from whatever disease is coming down the block, or whatever disease of the week has escaped from some laboratory in China, whether they think it came from a bat, or they think it came from a snake, or whatever. Uh, the, the enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm not saying, I'm not accusing all politicians of this, or all social engineers of this, but what I'm saying that embedded in our society at the very highest levels, we have staunch enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they have, they have seized the time in this time of chaos and disease and stuff to shatter the church. And so it is no longer the norm to have a church home, uh, to be a submitted member. All those things which were once given are kind of up in the air, and I don't want to go any further than that, but but you know that, and I know that. And that's one of the reasons years ago I started Paradise Mountain Church, so that if the day, in the back of my mind, I started Paradise Mountain Church International, and we met regularly for decades, um, but I started it as an alternative church so that if the mainstream churches with, with the large buildings, et cetera, if that ever became illegal, and it did in many states, uh, to hold meetings like that, that the church as a structure wouldn't fall apart. So we were, from day one, we made sure we spent a, a significant part of our budget to be on television, to be on radio, to be on social media, to be on the internet, uh, our own Roku channel. And to this day, um, we're on all kinds of internet, social media, and you can watch uh, the actual Paradise Mountain Church International services. You can hear my messages on Bible prophecy that I gave at the Paradise Mountain Church International services. And what we did is we rented uh, hotel uh, business uh, conferences, you know, that, that would seat like three anywhere from 300 to 500 people or whatever, and we would have our meetings there. So the key is the Lord led us to go there. And so we, we were driving a huge amount of mileage back and forth. And initially, and you can laugh, it's okay, we lived in Rancho Cucamonga, which is now a booming suburb. Back then, it was just uh, avocado fields and orange fields and stuff like that. But we would commute from our home in Rancho Cucamonga to Van Nuys to the church on the way for Wednesday evening service, for Sunday service, for all the activities we were involved in. Later on, we moved up into the Hollywood Hills, Lookout Mountain Avenue, and uh, uh, Laurel Canyon. Now, uh, when you do that kind of intense driving, and I broke my rule, I bought an American car when we blew out our first car because it overheated from too much driving. That wouldn't have happened. Sorry, folks, if you have an American car. This is my personal prejudice. It would not have happened if I had bought, let's say, a Toyota or, or a Nissan or something, because they don't generally, their engines don't blow out from overheating. Fords and the Chryslers do. And, and this is a side note. Part of the reason America lost its manufacturing to countries south of our borders was not just because the labor was cheaper. In many cases, 
<clears throat> the, the, the work ethic. You see, America, after it won World War II, it spent a fortune building up factories in places like Japan and China and other places. And, and along with building up factories for Japan, etc., we instilled in them a viable concept, which was still alive at that time, which was the American work ethic. And, and this came, we got this from Europe. It's not politically correct to talk about it. I really don't give a blank whether it's politically correct to talk about it or not. It just happens to be true. So, so um, with this work ethic, when you built a car, you built it to excellence. Now, what happened was the Japanese and some of the other nations they took our work ethic seriously, and when they built cars, those cars weren't falling apart. Those cars weren't overheating on the road. So, so we debased the value of our own product because the root of all this debasement, you see, the root of our economic decline is not simply economic. The root of our economic decline, and I want you to pay close attention to this because what I'm sharing with you now will directly impact your life for the better if you adhere to it because it's a biblical principle. And once upon a time in America, there was that European work ethic. When people made something, it was made first quality. It wasn't made cheap and sleazy. It didn't fall apart. It was made to last. Men and women took pride in their work product. See, most of you, unless you've been around a while, don't remember when America was like that. Okay, but it was. Now, the Japanese copied that. That's why the, the Toyota Corolla, the Nissan, and, and, and the other, there's some non-Asian cars in the mix that are high-quality cars, but they don't generally fall apart because of poor uh, uh, assembly of cheap parts slopping it together. Conversely, every Chrysler that I bought, and then I, after about a 10-year hiatus from not buying Chryslers, because my first one blew out from overheating, it shouldn't have, because it only had like, like 18,000 miles on it. So water or no water, it shouldn't be leaking water at 18,000 miles. Uh, and then uh, I bought another Chrysler, a Sebring. This was years later. This is when I had to buy a car. I had to buy two cars or lease or buy two cars a year because I was driving 180 miles an hour a day for the Paul McGuire show in Orange County. So the, the Chrysler Sebring that I bought, the warranty for the, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the uh, major part, you know, with the automatic shifting of the gears and I'm running a blank. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, the, 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 the chain-like thing that causes the car to be able to slow down or get more traction as it's going uphill, et cetera. Oh, the transmission, sorry. So right when the warranty went out on the, on the transmission on the Chrysler, which was 18,000 miles, normal driving, this time I was taking care of everything, the coolant, the water, the oil, everything. And the car blows out, and I had to pay to have it transported from way down in San Diego up to where I live in, in northern Los Angeles County. And and I said to myself, you didn't learn your lesson, Paul. The only two cars you've ever bought that fell apart on you before the warranty ran out 
have been either a Ford or a Chrysler type product and it fell apart on you. Okay, so what, what, what am I getting at? When America at this time, remember this is about 50, uh, well, back then it was about 40 years, uh, four decades. We still had the prosperity of, of World War II. But the integrity, the spiritual, psychological, work ethic integrity of America began to noticeably slide downwards at the same time we allowed prayer to be taken out of the schools, that we allowed the Ten Commandments to be taken out of the schools. Uh, while all of this was happening, uh, our work ethic began to slide with it. And that, that shouldn't surprise us because these things work synergistically, because they're all spiritual. Okay? So, uh, what happened was uh, the, nor the new normal in America was to cheat the consumer, to lie, to market and lie when you market, to take the easy way, not necessarily the best way. And so these were the little pebbles that turned into boulders that began the self-destruction of America. That's where the self-destruction of America began. And then you can go back before that. You go back to 1913-1914. You'll see that after the, the Pilgrims and Puritans were hyper-vigilant in terms of protecting our society, we moved into a new era and we began to embrace humanism and socialism. And this was happening in 1913-1914. And right in open sight, the globalist elite like Rockefeller and Rothschild and Kissinger and all those people, or at least their fathers or grandfathers, because this is 1913-1914, they passed what was called the, the Federal Reserve Act, which basically was illegal in juxtaposition to the Constitution because it gave the total control of our monetary system, our interest rates, and everything else. It put it in the hands of 11 international banking families who, who then ruled America secretly and created the Federal Reserve. Now, the Federal Reserve, most people don't understand, has nothing to do with the federal government. The Federal Reserve is simply the, the seizure and takeover of our economic system by powerful, super-wealthy international banking families. And they secretly infiltrated both the Democratic Party and the Republican Party at the same time, but they gave the name of this legislation, the Federal Reserve Act, they gave it two different sounding names. So the Democrats had their name and the Republicans had their name. But the key leadership in both the Republican and the Democratic Party, they were all secretly behind the Federal Reserve Act, which in one fell swoop meant that our dollar was no longer based on anything of tangible value like precious metals, jewels, or gold. Our, our, our dollar was based on an illusion. You need to hear me on this. I've been talking about this for 50 years. The Federal Reserve printed currency that was not backed by anything of true value. It was backed by illusion. It wasn't backed by gold or anything. And the minute we did that, that debased and corrupted our economic system even further 
so that World War III, what's going on in the background here between Israel and Hamas, Ukraine and Russia, China and the United States, Iran and all Venezuela and all these flashpoints around planet Earth, what's really going on in the background is the emergence of a new competitive currency, like the BRICS currency, eventually the arrival of a of a cashless society, some kind of chip implant will serve as as cash. And what's really going on is that nations like China and Russia and other nations are all rallying behind and that they are challenging the supremacy and the right of supremacy that the United States has enjoyed by being the, the world's controller of the international and national monetary system via the creation of the Federal Reserve Act and via the, the tricky little scheme that Rothschild and Rockefeller and the international banking families all concocted together when they uh, conspired. Yeah, and that's exactly what they did. They conspired to expand something that they already started in Britain and France and Italy and, and what were known as the central banks of Europe. So, so I explain this in a very, it's a complex subject, by, but I explain it in a very simple matter, manner in my book, The Day the Dollar Died. What Rothschild and Rockefeller and the other trillionaire class have done is that the way they conquered nations all over the world, including the United States and the European nations and Britain and so on and so forth, they conquered the nations by creating something called the central bank. The central bank is simply a bank that the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds and the other big trillionaires, the central bank is what they hide behind. And as long as they have control of the central banks of every nation, and all the major nations have central banks, then they not only control the economic system, but then by default they control the military system and the political system. Now, Americans hated the notion of a central bank because they knew it meant tyranny and slavery. So Americans fought bitterly against the establishment of a central bank in the United States like the ones that ruined Europe. But what the Federal Reserve Act was, quite simply, it was simply a stealth name for the establishment of a central bank. So the same international banking families like Rockefeller and Rothschild now controlled our currency, our money supply, our political system, our military. They control it and run it all. They, they control the presidency through the establishment of a central bank. Now, that's just a, a clever marketing lie to sell the American people on what they didn't want to begin with, which was Americans didn't want a central bank, they, and they didn't want anything like it. They wanted we the people to run our money supply. So, so the tricksters in the globalist elite simply rebranded, renamed the central bank the Federal Reserve System, where the, the great secret, the, and it's an occult secret, the great secret, the great occult secret of the Federal Reserve Bank is that the international bankers 
can print money from nothing. You don't have anything tangible to back up the printing of dollars. But the only thing that you're given is their word of assurance, which means nothing. So when we went to a Federal Reserve System, the way the central bankers make their money, the way the globalist elite make their money is through taxes and through uh, uh, loaning trillions of dollars to, to sovereign nation states around the world, loaning billions of dollars and trillions of dollars to the United States of America. And then in all these nations, it uses the taxpayers' money to loan that same money to the various peoples of these nations. And then they charge them a big, fat, whopping percentage. So that's the reason there is never a serious effort to curtail our deficit, to curtail our debt spending. The debt, the growth of the debt, the growth of the deficit, raising taxes, loaning money at exorbitant interest rates, is the name of the game of the international bankers. That is their great heist, if you will. That's how they they generate trillions and trillions of dollars. And that's how they finance the Great Reset. Nobody in America wants the New World Order. The only people who want the New World Order in America are certain politicians and the people who lost their brains somewhere in zombie land. No thinking person wants a, a uh, you know, a New World Order. So again, we have a lie, like with the Federal Reserve. They've changed the name of the New World Order to the Great Reset. But the Great Reset, when you strip it down to its bare essence, when you, when you decode exactly what the Great Reset is, when you, when you shatter the illusion of what the Great Reset is, and tell the truth about what the Great Reset is, you discover that the Great Reset is nothing more than the Great Heist. It is a, it is a violent, an economically violent seizure of all the assets, the money, the jobs, the economies, and the power of every nation on planet Earth, and then putting total control of every nation on planet Earth into the hands of the international bankers of the globalist elite. And this is what they did with the New World Order, the Federal Reserve, and now they're doing it with the Great Reset. This gig, by the way, this this fiscal manipulation began in ancient Babylon. But you've got to know about it, because when you know about it, you'll know, like a chessboard, what is going to happen next. So before we come back, um, we're going to dive into what's going to happen next in America and the world. And you can know that, because God's Word teaches you how to know that, and then when you integrate God's Word with a just a, just a minimal knowledge of, of economics, you can understand what they what they have planned, and it, and it ain't pretty. Okay, what they what they have planned is to to birth mystery Babylon right in front of your eyes. Okay. So we're going to get back to that in just a moment. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report on Paul McGuire. I need to tell you this. It's important. Right now, we're probably in the height or the epicenter of the greatest spiritual battle in the history of mankind, and America plays a key and pivotal role. It's great that we have 
thousands of people with their own podcasts and social media pages and stuff like that, more power to them. The problem is, though, the secondary and unanticipated impact of all that is that by having an excessive proliferation of talk show hosts and internet people who really have not done the deep dive personally of intensive research into economics, into history, into biblical principles, into the history of warfare, into the history of science and biology and genetics. And I could go on for a long time naming all these vital, important fields of study and discipline. So what we have now is a massive explosion in the number of podcasting voices and personalities, etc. Great. But very few of them have paid the price to really learn their subject matter. Very few of them are intellectually or spiritually equipped to pass on to you the kind of knowledge that will set you free. Essentially, most of them have simply become, you know, like what Fox News became. They, they, they're the cheerleaders for the Republican Party or for conservatism or whatever, but they'll never get deep down where the truth is, okay? Because they don't know the truth because they have never studied They have never taken the time to do the research, and that's my concern, and that's why we do the Paul McGuire Report, to spread the truth so we can set people free. Remember, the counterfeit of the truth is something that looks, sounds, and feels like the truth, but upon further examination, well, guess what? It's not the truth. So I need you at this critical time in our nation's history to stand with me, and I want to thank each one of you that do. Stand with me in your donations and contributions. Ask God what you can give financially and whatever God tells you to do, obey him. Become a prayer warrior for me, the ministry, and all those associated with the ministry. And help us by fighting the rigging, fighting the censorship on the search engines, and, and looking out for us, because guess what? We are really looking out for you. Because much of what we say on this program ends up shaping, even though we're a small ministry, much of what we say on this program ends up shaping the narrative or the the state of consciousness of America. So visit paulmcguire.us, that's paulmcguire.us, ask the Lord what you can do and stand with us in this battle and together with the Lord's help and favor and grace, I believe we can, to whatever degree the Lord allows us to, I believe we can turn the tide of the spiritual battle. So visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. <laughs>